Okay, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> so, uh, I appreciated uh, the stewardship this morning, and uh, as well the uh, communion blessing. I mean, everything seems to be going just right along with the lesson, and uh, even this morning over in the men's part, uh, those guys ran all over my lesson, so you can't help but to see that a great conductor is conducting it all together so anyway uh i don't know whether to thank tom or not for the donuts i tried to stay away from them but thanks tom i know the congregation appreciate it okay well if you want to turn your bibles <clears throat> to ecclesiastes chapter one psalms proverbs ecclesiastes uh i've entitled uh this exhortation today, a moment in time. In Ecclesiastes 1 and uh, verse 2, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, said the preacher. He says, everything's futility. All of life is meaningless. He says it's just a bunch of repeated events with no lasting purpose. I remember reading this when I was about 12 years old and uh, found it very interesting in my young mind. And we'll see at the end what the conclusion is. And I found that very interesting too. So I, I remember thinking as I read it at a young age, that uh, there was no need getting too excited about anything, you know, one particular thing. It was all vanity anyway. So it was just how it struck me at that age. But uh, I did remember how he concluded it. So, so it's it's not to take away when he says that vanity of vanities that life is meaningless, has no purpose. He's not taking away from the value of human life, but he's actually. Uh, leading us to understand that we must look for a higher purpose in life, a spiritual meaning to life, if we're going to find purpose in our existence here. In chapter 3, uh, let's read uh, the first eight verses. There is an appointed time for everything. There is a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, what is planted? A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Time is a part of our Creator's plan. And He's given it to us with times of Seasons and purposes. In 
if you look in James chapter 4, verse 14, we're going to do a lot of Bible thumping today. James 4, 14, as we just gather uh, bits and pieces of thoughts and put them together to our theme of a moment in time. James 4, in verse 14, says, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. That's what the preacher in Ecclesiastes understood. The temporary nature of life under the sun. If you look in Psalms chapter 90 and verse 4. says... <clears throat> For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passed by, or as a watch in the night. Time is only a moment under the sun. And time is something that is only relevant here on the earth. Time to God is like last night. A thousand years is like last night. Time's irrelevant to him because he's eternal. But under the sun, time is only a moment. If you look in Genesis chapter 1, and uh, we'll, we'll look at the verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. God, so we see here that God made man to rule over the earth, to subdue it, to take care of it to take care of the creation that he had made here on the earth. So we say, okay, then I see our purpose. We were put here to take care of the earth, the creation, and all that God made. If we look in Revelations 4, we're going to find out that there's more. Revelations 4 and verse 11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they exist and were created. So here we see that we were created to show glory and honor to God. Okay? So all things, including humanity, then, were made and created by God for his glory and for his honor. So this is, says there's something more than just taking care of the earth. There's something more than just that for us. We are to glory, glorify that is, and honor God in our lives. So that's something more. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. In uh, Colossians 1 verse 16. For by him all things were created 
both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So all of creation, including humanity, were created by Christ and for his purpose. So you see, I've said this before, it's really not about us. And I, I think we make big mistakes, we all do it, I'm sure, as our babies are born, and we start telling them how cute they are, and we carry on over them, and that continues. As they get older, and uh, they become teenagers and all that, we make them believe it's all about them. Life's all about you. And, and they like that. And they want it to be all about them. And they remind you it's all about them. Well, that's a big mistake. Because then they go ahead and they grow up thinking in their minds, it's all about me. And it's not all about you. It's not all about me. It's all about Jesus and his purpose for us. And so it kind of becomes a shocker if you become a Christian and you start learning these things and you realize it's not all about you. You go, what? No, it's not. Really not. It's not about you at all. So you've got to get over that and pay attention. So let's go back to Ecclesiastes. And... Uh, Let's go to verse, I'm sorry, chapter 9, and uh, we'll start in verse 5. For the living know they will die, but the dead do not know anything, nor have they any longer a reward, for their memory is forgotten. Indeed, their love, their hate, and their zeal have already perished. And they will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. Go then, eat your bread in happiness. Drink your wine with a cheerful heart. For God already approved your works. Let your clothes be white all the time. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love and all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun, for this is your reward, or this is your portion, some say, in life, and your toil in which you have labored under the sun. So, if we only live for a moment, which the Bible is showing us that we do, Rather, let me say that if we only live for the moment, then we have received our portion in life. You receive your reward now, and that's it. You're done. So as he's saying here, listen, go ahead. Get your nice going out the clothes on. Get your hair all done nice. Get your glass of wine. Get you some nice food to eat. Enjoy the fruit of your labor that you've worked for all day. Have a good time. Enjoy your life with your wife. But if that's all you see there is to it, and just repeating that over and over, day after day, week after week, oh yeah, you've got your reward. This is your portion. Go and enjoy it. 
But if that's it with you, if that's all you think it's all about, that's all you get. And when you die, your portion, your reward is done also. Many people live that way. Live for the moment, live for today, like we're going to live forever. And God says, go ahead, enjoy your reward now, because that's all you're getting, if that's where your purpose is. Let's look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, in uh, verse 8. 1 Timothy 4, 8. He says, for bodily discipline is only of little profit. That's why I do as little of it as I can. <laughs> but godliness, if profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. What? What's he saying here? Life to come? You mean there's more? There's, there's a, another life after this one? Yeah, kind of be what he's saying. And also for the life to come. So we see that in the life to come, and even for this life as well, that godliness is the path towards that. Godliness. The life that now is, and there's a life beyond that, he's saying. And godliness is the path to that life as well. Let's go to Mark chapter 10. <clears throat> and uh, we'll, verse 29. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake but that he will receive a hundred times as much. Now, in the present age, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. This implies that human life, human existence here on the earth, has a broader purpose beyond the temporary experiences under the sun something more he's indicating to us and he's saying that this receiving of something more comes with suffering it comes with losses and it comes with gains if you have been following Christ and you're of any age at all then you understand what he's saying here that you have suffered already for Christ's name's sake. You have given up. You have lost. You have lost relationships with people because of following Christ, the path of godliness. And you've given up things, but you've also gained things. I have gained all of you here as my mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers. And I count it all joy. But we know also then all of this comes with persecutions. But uh, the end, the hope, is a reward beyond after our time under the sun. 
Romans chapter 3, Paul describes kind of where humanity has gone to. Romans 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not even one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. In the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's how I feel if I sit down and watch an hour of the nightly news. Describes it perfectly. But Paul quoting here from the Old Testament verses is making a point about the universal sinfulness of humanity and that humans left to themselves cannot find God and they cannot save themselves either. If you turn to Acts chapter 17 and uh, we'll start in verse 22 Acts 17, 22 as we keep searching for what is our purpose under the sun Paul gives us some more insight. Verse 22. So, Paul stood in the midst of Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness, through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So here, Paul's examining uh, their worship, their groping after God, if you will. 
They've made all these monuments and these statues and these little gods. And so you can see that they're groping after trying to find God that even their own poets had enough sense to realize that uh, there's something greater than us and, and we must therefore be his children. Well, Paul says, being the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature or our father, if we are his children, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. So what comes first, the father or the children? Can you point to any example in nature where the children come before the father? See, this is Paul's point. Your own poets say that we are the children, but you're making the father with your hands. Out of gold and silver and images and designs of art and what your thoughts of what your father must be like. You're the children and you're now designing the father. Isn't that backwards? Doesn't the father come before the children? Is Paul's point. He's showing them how ignorant their thinking is. He says, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. Others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst. But some men joined him and believed among those who were Dionysus and, and Areopagot and a woman named Damaris and others with them. See, Paul says, well, he's now turning their attention from these false little gods they're groping after to find God and he's going to tell them how you can know God that he's not far from any of us and you can know him and I'll tell you how it's through this man Jesus who died but was teaching us about God and how do we know that what he was teaching is true because God raised him up from the dead not just too many days ago, matter of fact, that God raised him from the dead, giving him all authority and proving that the words that he spoke to you about God and who he is are true. So now we can, through this man Jesus, know who God is and all about him. Well, as the manner is, some said, we'll hear you again on this matter. We'll put it off for now, but we'll hear you again. Others followed Paul and said, tell us more. And this is the way it is in the world today. Different heart conditions, different soil that the seed falls on. And we don't control that. But God tells us, just go and tell about this man who rose from the dead. Because he will tell you all about God. So, 
And it really didn't start when Jesus came to the world because really his story, history, is all about Jesus. All the way back to the very beginning when God said, let's separate the light from the darkness. He began telling the story about Jesus. And it's all throughout the Old Testament up to the time when Jesus comes. So God's been introducing us to him, to know him, from the beginning of creation. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15 and uh, verse 19. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. <clears throat> Paul says, If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. So see, these people who followed Paul there in Athens and said, tell us more about this person that was resurrected. Tell us more about this resurrection. Well, Paul no doubt would have brought them, and well, he would have told them what he eventually wrote to us here in 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection of Jesus, the good news of the gospel, and what it all meant. But he's saying, listen, if our hope in Christ was for this life only, then we are of all men most to be pitied. So not only does the resurrection speak of the authority that we should believe what he has told us, but it tells us also that our hope is beyond this life. So see, the preacher, just looking at life under the sun, that's how he was approaching the purpose of man. But he didn't go beyond the grave. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4. And we'll start in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentarily, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, that is, under the sun, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So it speaks of the temporary nature of life under the sun and encourages us to focus on eternity. Now, if you look in Colossians, a couple books over to your right, Colossians chapter 3, and uh, let's read the first three verses. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth, or we could say under the sun. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So you see, our life is not just about all the activity and all the things we are doing under the sun. Actually, our life is hidden from view of those who do not see. If you go over uh, one book back to your left, Philippians chapter 3 and uh, verse 20 
we're told that our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble stay into conformity with the body of his glory by the exhortation of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Paul is telling us that, you know what, this world's not really our home. Our citizenship is not even here. If you look at 1 John chapter 3, and uh, we'll look at the first three verses here as we start to wind this down. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him, purifies himself just as he is pure. So <clears throat> keep your hope fixed on him. And when you do, then you found your purpose under the sun. So <clears throat> what was the conclusion that the preacher had back in Ecclesiastes of how we should spend our time our moment in time under the sun. A moment in time. That's all we have under the sun is a moment of time. He says in Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14, that let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. You see, this leads to life beyond life under the sun. So I'm going to close with, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, Paul gives us a summation of the matter in God's mind before he ever created us. Our lives are meant to be much more than just a moment in time. Let's hear what he says. Verse 4, Ephesians 1. <clears throat> just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestinated us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things on the earth in him also we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestinated according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. To the end that 
we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the suppressing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also 